You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit votr.church. Amen. Amen and good morning. Man, it's great to worship with everyone here. I'm so thankful that we're lifting our voices together. If we've never met before, my name is Jeff. I'm the lead pastor here at this church. My wife, Natalie, uh, she also pastors here. And, and if we've never met, we'd love to change that. We would love to meet you. We always try to spend time in the lobby, meeting and greeting and helping people feel connected to the vineyard. And so we would love to meet you if we never have before. I want to take a minute to welcome everyone on the live stream as well. We know many of you are tuning in online. I, I hope you know we pray for you and we expect God to move online. Uh, and just as we expect him to move among us, I heard last week that two people online gave their life to Christ for the very first time. So I just want to celebrate that, say thank you for engaging. And if you're online and you didn't see us, three more people gave their life to Christ in person. And um, this is a special, special time. This is, this is what we do at the Vineyard, right? We want to help you find a life with God. We want to help you find a life with God. If you've been following Jesus for any number of years, we want to help your life with God to grow. But as a church, we always have people with us, either in person or online, who have never made a personal relationship to follow Jesus. They've never made a, a personal commitment to give their life to the Lord and to try to live from him, for him as best as they can. And we do this every time we gather. And I just want to let you know on the front end, if you've never made that decision or you didn't know that decision was important, um, then we are honored that you're with us, that you can grow in your understanding of faith with us. And we're going to invite you to make that decision later this morning because almost every week people are making eternal decisions for Christ, and we're so thankful for that. Well, until then, we are, as Corey said, we're getting ready for Christmas. It's, it's almost here. Some of us are about to have to deal with the life choices we've made of delaying all of our preparations until the last week. Those are your choices. Those are your, they're not my choices for you. They're your choices for yourself. You're going to have to you're going to have to roll with that. But at the church, right, we've been preparing for Christmas too. All month long, as we lead up to Christmas Eve, we've been talking as a church about joy. The joy of the Lord, how to follow God with a joyful heart. And last week, we, we took a long time to talk about the tension in the kingdom of how joy and grief can somehow coexist and how we still can follow God in the midst of hard times. And today, I just want to keep reminding you that joy is worth pursuing. Joy is worth pursuing, and also joy is a promise for you from Jesus Christ. And we don't always feel joyful. We don't always feel like we're overwhelmed and overflowing with the joy of the Lord, but this is our promise. And I want you to know that here at the Vineyard, man, our team, the staff at the Vineyard, we like to practice what we preach. We know how to laugh together and we can have fun together. We genuinely love each other. We love to experience joy together. And we're very intentional about creating opportunities for us to experience joy. You know, any given staff meeting, we meet as a staff on Tuesdays. And there's all kinds of emotions every staff meeting. We laugh together, we cry together, we pray together, we celebrate together what God is doing in our individual lives, but also the life of the church. But every fifth Tuesday is a special Tuesday. We, we cancel staff meetings. It happens a couple times a year where there's a fifth Tuesday in the month. We cancel staff meetings and we replace it with what I call staff fun days, 
where we intentionally shift our calendar and we try to go have fun together. Some of my staff call it forced family fun um, because, listen, it's hard to create an environment where everybody's having the same amount of fun every single time we get together. So, you know, I'm, I'm following the Pareto effect, 80-20. I'm hoping 80% of us have fun and the 20% who don't will have fun next time. But this last staff fun day, was, uh, it was a doozy. Like I, I knew I wanted to do this. I knew I had wanted to organize it this way for a, for a number of months. I was just waiting for the right time. The last fifth Tuesday was in October, and it landed on Halloween, so it just felt like the right time. <clears throat> so we all piled into cars, and we drove to the most famous restaurant in all of Severance, Colorado. <laughs> Bruce's Bar. Those of you who haven't been to Bruce's Bar, you definitely need to go. They're famous for their Rocky Mountain oysters. Some of you look confused. They're, it's, they're not known for seafood, okay? And if you don't know what Rocky Mountain oysters are, I'll let the person next to you kind of whisper in your ear, and I'll watch your face change across the room. So we went to Bruce's Bar, and we had some forced family fun. Um, they're known really just for their Rocky Mountain oysters. And by the way, if you've never had them, I'm really glad that like someone prepares them in the kitchen and like slice them up and deep fry Because I didn't know if we were going to get things that looked like crab apples or something like coming out to the... <clears throat> but they slice them and they, and they bread them and they fry them. And it's really helpful. Psychologically, it's helpful. for all kinds of different levels. Listen, we had, we had fun that day. We had fun, and we can have fun now telling the story about that day. You, you have to be intentional to create environments where you can experience joy. And what we've learned is we've all had moments in our individual lives where we feel and experience joy, but you can catch it a whole lot better when you try to pursue it together. There's something about gathering together to create stories and laughter together that allows you to experience joy in a different way kind of way. And joy is, is simply something that we all need. Our minds and our hearts, they were created for joy. We stay healthy when we experience joy. And biblically, all through scripture, you read that joy is our promise. As a follower of Christ, joy is your promise today. He promised it to all the followers of Christ. And it doesn't mean that life is always perfect. It doesn't mean life is always um, an expression of joy. We talked about that last week. You might not even be feeling very joyful right now, but joy is still your promise. And if you hang around Jesus long enough, joy will come to you again. Christmas is one of the best times to talk about joy because as you read the biblical story of the birth of Jesus Christ, joy is just everywhere in the scriptures. It's everywhere in the scriptures. The story of, of Christ's birth included every emotion, of course. There was hardship and, and pain. Actually, the birth of Jesus offended some greatly. Some were enraged. There was even fear and wonder. But one of the ongoing and overarching themes surrounding the birth of Christ was abundant joy. Abundant joy. The life and teachings of Jesus, they're written about in the first four books of the New Testament. They're called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And specifically, Matthew and Luke, they retell the birth story of Jesus Christ. If you've never read the first two chapters of Matthew 
and Luke. That's where you'll find the birth story of Jesus. I would encourage you to read it this week in preparation for Christmas. Even if you've read the birth story a hundred times, read it again this week as we lean into Christmas and read it through the lens of discovering all of the joy that's in those passages. You'll be shocked at how often you see joy. I mean, everyone is rejoicing, they're singing praises, they're being filled with joy, and it was a crazy time in human history. There was a lot of supernatural activity taking place, but joy was everywhere. And this morning, I'm going to share a whole bunch of different verses from the birth narrative because I want to pull out how all of the, they, you can see joy in each and every one of these little passages. And as you read these passages, and we highlight a few different things for us this morning, I think the first thing that you're going to notice is that proximity to Jesus increases your joy. Proximity to Jesus increases your joy. The closer you are to Jesus, the more joy you're going to experience. In Luke chapter 1, there's this amazing story about Jesus um, inside Mary's womb. He hasn't been born yet. He's growing in Mary's womb, and Jesus is already changing the world. In this passage, there's two women. Both are pregnant. Both had really dramatic and spiritual experiences when it came to their pregnancy. One was, one was very natural. One was very supernatural, but both of them were miraculous in their own right. Elizabeth, she's carrying a baby who will one day be known as John the Baptist, and she's just a few months further ahead of Mary, who's holding baby Jesus. Mary goes to see Elizabeth, and that's what we're going to read as we start this morning. Luke 1, verse 39. <clears throat> A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. I mean, this is a crazy story. And by the way, Mary is fantastic. Mary is to be honored. It says it clearly in Scripture, but Mary wasn't the one that brought the Holy Spirit. Mary wasn't the one that caused the joy. That was Jesus. That was pre-born Jesus, interacting with the world around him, already influencing the world. Prenatal John got close enough in proximity to prenatal Jesus and was already jumping with joy. Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit, and shortly after, Mary sings this prophetic song that's still being retold 2,000 years later. Your proximity to Jesus increases your joy, and what I love about this passage is that it surprised everyone. It surprised everyone. The joy of the Lord will surprise you. It will surprise you. Elizabeth wasn't looking for joy. Little unborn baby John wasn't looking for joy. Mary surely wasn't expecting it to go this way. Everyone was surprised by joy. And over the course of the last month, but definitely this week, I have found myself praying for you and praying for our church that we would be surprised by the joy of the Lord this season. And you know, one of the beautiful things about 
joy during Christmas time and in the birth narrative is that it, it doesn't only come in surprising moments. There are also ways that you can prepare, that you can expect and anticipate joy as you draw near to Jesus. The next passage that I'm going to read, you're going you're gonna to see a few men or, or wise men or magi is more accurate probably who have been anticipating Jesus and they've been looking forward to and even expecting his arrival. And they weren't surprised by joy. They were looking forward to it, but they still experienced it. This time we're reading from Matthew 2, just verses 9 and 11 really quickly. It says, And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. With the arrival of baby Jesus, these men were filled with joy, but they weren't surprised by it like Elizabeth. They were anticipating it. They were looking for Jesus, hoping to get close, hoping to draw near. And when they did, they experienced joy. These guys traveled a long way to see Jesus. They had been preparing for a long time. They planned the trip. They packed their bags. They gathered treasure and gifts. They studied the stars and the ancient scriptures. They looked around. They interviewed to discover where Jesus might be. You see all of these things and you realize pretty quickly they were anticipating an experience with Jesus. And as much as we can be surprised by the joy of the Lord, it's not always spontaneous. Sometimes it happens in just the same way that you hoped it would. I was talking with some earlier, and I think sometimes as we follow Jesus for a long time, or maybe as we live life for a long time, and we go through hard things, sometimes we can anticipate joy, but we kind of are holding ourselves back because we don't want to be hurt by putting ourselves out there too far. But listen, isn't it great that you can anticipate joy and still receive it just as the Lord promised? He's not out to get you. He's not out to surprise you. He's out to bless you with joy. Now, maybe you've never met Jesus before. Maybe you've been around Jesus, you've been around the church, you've been around Christian ideas, but you've never personally related to Jesus. You've never made a decision for yourself to follow him. We talked about that earlier. Maybe today's the day you make that choice and go all in with Jesus. But even if you've been following Jesus for a really long time, it's worth seeking him again and again and again and again because when you get close to Jesus, when you draw near to him, when you anticipate meeting with him and encountering him, you might just get filled with joy, like the very first time you ever experienced his presence. Now, I, I think this is an important question for all of us to consider. But when you come to church, what do you expect is going to happen? When you come to church, what do you expect about your time with God? Do you expect to meet with him? And I don't mean like in an abstract way, distant and cold. I mean like really meet with him. Do you have an expectation that when you come to church, you could actually meet with the living God? Because I can tell you, that's what we believe. 
That when we gather together, something unique happens that we can experience and encounter the Lord together. And it's not always a mountaintop experience. For some of us, it's mountaintop. For some of us, it's, it's, it's the valleys. For a lot of us, it's just somewhere in between consistently. But you never know. And I just want to encourage your faith that somehow, some way, if you can begin to anticipate that you actually are coming to church to meet with God, if you can anticipate and expect to encounter the living God, it might radically change your experience of church and how you hear his voice and how you sing to him and how you hear the word of God and how you receive prayer and how he's moving in your life as you grow in this expectation. What could happen to your life? If over the course of the next week and maybe every time we gather, you were being surprised by the joy of the Lord, but you also had a growing sense of anticipation and expectation that you would meet with him. I love the Christmas story. I, I read it even when it's not Christmas time. I just love the Christmas story so much. And one of the reasons why I love it is in these passages, uh, the writers make it so incredibly clear for us that, that our proximity to Jesus, it really does impact our life. It really does increase our ability to receive joy. And, you know, this, this message isn't all about kind of joy and feeling good and feeling awesome. I, I have a potentially a hard word for some of you to hear. But I love you deeply, so I'm going to share it with a smile so you know how kind I am, how much I love you. And I think some of us, I think we've been following Jesus for a really, really long time. We haven't experienced joy. We don't remember the last time we experienced joy. If you've been following Jesus for a really, really long time and you don't experience joy, I think, I think eventually you have to ask the question, why? Why am I not experiencing Joy, you know, it, it could be a hundred different things. I don't know exactly what that means for you, but it could mean that there's some unhealed trauma in your heart that you've been guarding from the Lord and you need to allow him in to that trauma to heal your heart. Maybe there's some unforgiveness that's robbing you from a true experience of the fullness of what God has for you. Maybe it's some kind of spiritual attack. I don't really know what it could be for you, but eventually, at least after a while, we should begin asking the question, why? Why am I not experiencing the joy of the Lord? I think we need to ask this question because in a lot of ways, joy is one of the many markers of a mature believer. If joy is your promise as a follower of Christ, and if joy is what we, what we read about in Scripture as a fruit of the Spirit, meaning that it can grow in our life as we get close to Jesus, then truly, mature believers should have a sense of joy in their life. Joy becomes a mark of the mature believer. I'm a little suspicious. I'm a little suspicious of any longtime follower of Jesus who never displays any joy in their life. And I'm not talking about temperament. I'm not talking about personality. I'm not talking about your ability to be cheery when you walk into a room. We all have different personalities. The way we express joy is going to play out differently for all the ways that God has created us. I'm definitely not talking about fake joy or, or some kind of hyped up happiness. And just a, just a reminder, I'm not talking about experiencing times of pain and loss. It's really hard to show up joyful in your face and your expression when you're going through hard seasons. We talked about that last week. That doesn't mean you're somehow spiritually immature. It means you're being real and authentic. But if we haven't experienced joy in a really long time, we should probably ask the question, I mean, you probably don't know this. You've probably never experienced this in your entire life, right? Like, it's just never, it only is my experience. But have you, maybe, some of us occasionally 
experienced Christians out there who are like kind of lousy to be around? Did you know this is like a thing? That there are some Christians, there are some believers, there are some followers of Christ who aren't very enjoyable at all. They're cranky Christians. They're all over the place. I don't get it. Honestly, I don't understand. And again, I'm not talking about seasons of of pain or or incredible loss. That's human. That's real. That's normal. I'm talking about long trajectories of life without joy. Long trajectories of following Jesus where joy is not one of your characteristics. Listen, Jesus has more for you. He has a promise for you that joy would well up within you and overflow to the world around you. The older we get, the more joyful we can become because the Lord is doing a thing in our hearts and transforming our lives. There are two people that you meet in the Christmas story, both from Luke 2. I want to read at least one of the passages to you. They're named Simeon and Anna. And in the scriptures, they're old. They're pretty old. And I'm not labeling them that. The scriptures label them as old people. Simeon was ready to die and go to heaven. Anna was a, a widow for a whole bunch of years. She was in her 80s. All she did was meet in the temple and pray and fast and minister. I mean, these are older people, but they loved God and they worshiped him. And, and when they met baby Jesus, they were enthralled. They rejoiced. They sang songs and praised God and they told everyone about it. And I love their stories because they're elders. They're mature believers. They've lived to an age where they've seen some stuff. They've seen some hard things. They've been to plenty of church services and nothing the preacher would say would surprise them. But they still know how to rejoice. They still know how to rejoice. They knew how to praise. They knew how to demonstrate joy. And I'm just letting you know, I'm letting the the elder statesmen and stateswomen in our church know There is hardly anything more attractive to the younger generations than seeing your elders filled with joy. I'm telling you, because we need hope that we can follow Jesus and keep joy alive for the longevity of our lives in following Jesus. There's hardly anything more attractive to seeing people who follow Jesus longer than we've been alive who still have joy deep within them. Joy marks mature believers like Simeon and Anna. And it makes you think, I mean, at least it makes me think that when we get together, when we gather to do this thing called church, it should be fun. It's okay to enjoy each other. It's, it's okay to enjoy the presence of the Lord with one another. I mean, it can be amazing. Church can actually be uh, something in your calendar that you circle and prioritize because of its joyful experience. There's nothing like the church community. And when we get together, it's a collection of people either being filled with joy or seeking joy from the giver of joy. And we all pile in and we lift our voices and hear a message from God. The last thing that we need in church is like some weird joy police walking around telling everyone to calm down. It's not going to work very well for me anyway. When people (laughs) tell me what to do, some unredeemed part of myself wants to do the complete opposite. Some uncomfortable laughs and some real laughs in there. (laughs) We're all on a journey towards sanctification. Listen, we, we can pursue joy and we can pursue it together. It is a true mark of someone who's following 
the Lord. I love Anna and Simeon. I just want to, just one quick verse, Luke 2, verse 38. Just look at what it says about Anna. This is, this is talking about Anna. She, Anna, she came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. And she talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Now, when you read that passage and you read it in the grand narrative of the birth of Christ, how do you think she responded? It said that she rejoiced, but I think some of us just read it and go on to the next passage. Listen, she, just, she wasn't like a, having a muted expression in this moment. She wasn't just kind of ho-humming about life and she met the savior of all the world who's going to save Jerusalem and eventually the whole world. And it's kind of like, yeah, I guess that's kind of cool. I mean, like Jesus is, I'm really happy he was born. She rejoiced. She demonstrated the joy, not only in that moment, but it says that she went and started telling everybody. She wasn't afraid of being, quote, too much or too much to handle. She wasn't afraid of being told to calm down. She's rejoicing and praising God. It says she talked about the child with everyone. And I promise you, she wasn't being lame about her testimony. It was coming from a place of, of life and joy and a deep abiding presence of the Lord. This brings us to our next point this morning, and it's simply that your joy is meant to be shared. Your joy is meant to be shared. Proximity to Jesus, it increases your joy, but then it's not just for you. It's not just for you. Your joy needs to be shared with the world. Just like Anna did it, just like Simeon, just like John the Baptist and everyone else, the joy of the Lord is designed to be shared. Right now, you are surrounded by people who are hurting and in pain, and they haven't experienced joy in a really long time, and they need what you have. They need what God has placed inside of you, a joy that comes from a relationship with Jesus. I think it was John Wimber who once said that it's really hard to bring the good news if all you're ever bringing is the bad news. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? It's really hard to testify the goodness of God if you're always showing up in space that's just kind of disjointed. You can bring the good news that Jesus Christ has come to rescue the world. I want to read one more passage together before I, I close, just to show you really again the, the giant themes of joy seen throughout the Christmas story. This is in Luke 2 again. It's actually right before we meet Simeon and Anna. And there's a part of the story where the shepherds are in the fields. And it's laid out, it's dark, it's cold. The shepherds are just minding their own business, guarding their flocks, trying to do their job. And in Luke 2, it says that an angel shows up and lights up the sky, lighting the sky up with the radiance of God's glory. This is Luke 2, starting in verse 10. The angel says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds, they said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. 
After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. Now, when I read this passage earlier this week, I thought about uh, an unknown character in this part of the story. I thought about the sheep. My dog gets scared if a plastic bag blows past our house. I can't imagine what was happening for these sheep. Like, they probably scattered everywhere and the shepherds had a lot of cleanup to do, gathering them back together. But they're never complaining. They're never complaining. They're amazed. They weren't annoyed that the sheep were likely all over the place. They weren't annoyed that it was cold, that they were up all night, that they probably smelled like sheep and all kinds of other things. Verse 17 says they went to see and then they told everyone about it. They didn't keep it to themselves. They had experienced the good news of great joy and they wanted everyone to know about it. They wanted everyone to know about it. Imagine what could happen to a city. Imagine what could happen to a city if a church was known for joy, not judgment. Have you ever thought about that? Imagine what would happen to a city if the church was known for joy, not hypocrisy, or joy, not boredom. That kind of church would transform a city. And so this Christmas, I want to encourage you to be like Anna, to be like the shepherds, to tell the story, to tell the story. Bring someone to Blue Christmas who needs to experience God in a place of comfort because they're mourning. Come to Christmas Eve, and we can tell the story of Jesus' birth together. I know Matt and his team will do a fantastic job. I know Terry will get the kids going. It will be an amazing time. I know I'll tell people about the joy of Jesus Christ, and I have a hunch that lives will be changed. Because joy, just like every other emotion, it was designed to be shared. It was designed to be experienced internally, and it was designed to be shared. So this Christmas, let your joy grow as you, as you grow in your proximity to Jesus. But let your joy out as you engage with the world around you. Because the joy of the Lord will change the world. Let's pray.